So we're going to talk about something that that is kind of serious, but I'm hoping that it, that it really is encouraging at the same time as far as your walk with God. And that topic is humility. I don't know if you're like me. I don't like that word very much. I kind of want to be humble, but it's kind of like a theoretical desire, right? Whenever it becomes practical, I don't like it very much. And especially when you talk about being humiliated, I really don't like that phrase at all because it's not fun. But it's so vital, and I hope that we can walk away knowing that it really is a key to an entire life that you never knew existed almost. An entire new level of intimacy with God, with other people, of being used by God in amazing ways. It all kind of comes from humility, but it really takes this humbling experience or this true humility that uh, is not fun to acquire to be able to experience what God has for us. So I really hope that this is an encouragement. Don't take it necessarily as anything condescending at all. I know that I am speaking on this only because it's something that I've struggled with for an entire lifetime. I am not speaking on humility thinking, I know all about humility and I'm going to teach you guys. But honestly, there's one thing I ask God daily to forgive me of, it's my pride. And if there's one thing I see very clearly, it's my pride in so many areas. It's in, in ministry... It's, it's so easy to do things to get recognized or to get thanked. Or you do a talk and you hope people really appreciate it versus hoping that God really uses it to help them grow. And so I know so, so often my motives have been wrong for what I do. And everything goes back to our motives. And I know for me, it's like this constant struggle with my pride to really let God have control. I'm nowhere near there. <laughs> I'm nowhere near the humility that God has planned for me. And honestly, guys... I tell God sometimes, I'm terrified of what it would take to bring me to the place of humility that you desire for me. Because I know that it's not going to be fun for my flesh, you know. It's going to hurt like mad. So as you listen to this this morning, this is something that we're all learning together. And this is something that we're all growing in together. I hope that you take it that way. And I really hope you hear my heart in this is a desire to... It's so weird to say this. I prayed it this morning. Like, God, I want to be humble like you, but I'm scared to death to ask you for that. I really am scared sometimes to ask God to humble me because, because I know it's not going to be fun. But I want that. I want it because that was Christ's example. So let's get into it and hopefully it will be really encouraging for all of you. I want to start out with a verse. It's Second Chronicles 7.14. And it says, If my people who are called by my name, that's all of you guys, right, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. Isn't that an awesome promise? If we'll humble ourselves, right? If we'll humble ourselves, if we'll pray to him, and if we'll seek his face, and I think that seeking God's face, knowing I need him desperately, is the heart of humility. Knowing that I cannot make it without him, that I'm desperately dependent on him, that is vitally important. I want to also start with a quote by C.S. Lewis. He said, Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. Isn't that a good quote? Until you have given up yourself to him, you will not have a real self. And that is so true. I see it in my life. And it's this process of continually giving up myself to him and letting him bring to life what he made me to become. See, I cannot, I'm not capable of maximizing the potential that God created me with. Because I'm a simple, weak human being. He is capable of bringing out everything that he created in me that's positive. But he has to do it. And the only way that that can happen is if I give myself to him. 
on a daily basis to let him do what he desires with me. So I think the benefits are huge, and I hope this truly encourages you. So what's the definition of pride? Before we talk about humility, the opposite would be pride. I want to summarize pride with one phrase. And uh, how many of you guys have seen Homestar Runner? Woo-hoo. Leah. Okay, Leah, really loud. I know you can be passionate and loud. I want you to, I want you to belt this out. Okay. What does little brother say? I can make it on my own. Uh, everybody say, I can make it on my own. Really? One, two, three. I can make it on my own. Okay, that's... How many of you guys have seen that? A lot of you guys. It's really funny. You should watch it when you get home. But I think that is the attitude of pride. I can do it on my own. Right? Have you guys ever thought that? I have. I'm good enough. I don't need your help. I can, I can say that to other people. And, and I can even frankly say that to God. I might not say those words to God, but I think that a lot of times by not allowing Him to do what He desires in my life and not submitting, not submitting to uh, this process of humiliation. I'm saying, I can do it on my own. The opposite of that is an attitude where I say, I'm desperately dependent on you, God. I'm desperately dependent on you. I cannot do it on my own. I need you. I've tried to do it on my own, and... I mess things up. It doesn't mean I'm an idiot. It doesn't mean I'm the worst guy that ever lived. But it does mean that I am incapable of being the kind of person that you want me to be. I don't want to get angry at people, but I realize I do get angry at people. You can ask Aaron. You know, somebody cuts us off in traffic, I want to run the guy off the road and then shoot him with Mark's shotgun. <laughs> okay? Uh, that... Anytime. <laughs> Unless you're the guy that... But anyway, I think very often I need to be desperately dependent on him, but instead I have this attitude, I can do it on my own. And this is something that I I want to, to kind of bring up for you to think about. And this is hypothetical, and some theologians might disagree dramatically with this. But I want you to think about this. I think humility is the only characteristic that the Bible challenges us to aspire to, that God does not have. And that sounds weird. But let me clarify. Jesus was humble. And I'm going to read a lot of verses about his example. But I cannot think of a single verse in the entire Bible that says God is humble. Now think about this. Jesus was fully man when he illustrated humility as an example for us. And when he was fully man, he was fully submitted to God his Father, just like each of us should be. But here's what I truly think. I think humility is our response to God's holiness. That's why God himself doesn't have to be humble, because he is God. He is God. Now, humility is when I respond to who God is. And see, that's the foundation for every other characteristic God puts in my life. If I don't respond correctly to who God is, then nothing, nothing happens the way it's supposed to happen. See, God is love. 1 John 4 tells us that. And I am called to love people. So I'm emulating God's character. But I don't think I can accurate or, or adequately love people unless first I respond to who God is the right way. Until I respond correctly to love himself. And that's humility. Andrew Murray is the guy that wrote He wrote a book called Humility. Some of the quotes today are taken from that book. The notes are way different than what he covers. But some of these quotes really, really hit me hard. And he said in there that humility isn't one of the virtues, but it is the foundation for every other virtue. 
And I think that's why, because it's my response to God's character. It's me realizing what his character is like. What if I said to Aaron, I'm completely not attracted to you? How, what, do you guys think... Yeah, she'd be far behind the shotgun. What would our relationship be like after that? Okay, now get, I want, um, this is an analogy, I want you guys to grasp. If I said that and had that attitude towards Aaron, could we develop in love? Could we develop in trust? Could we develop in honesty? Could we develop in any way in our relationship? See, because I'm responding incorrectly to who she is. I'm not responding correctly to who she is. But once I can say, yes, your character is beautiful, your person is beautiful, I love you, I'm attracted to you, once I'm responding to that person that she is, then a whole relationship can flourish out of that. I think it's the same thing with humility. That's our response to who God is. And before we come to that place where we say, God, I realize you're everything and I'm nothing. Until we hit that point, I don't think God can do anything in us. That's why I think this is so, 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 so key. It's our response to his character. I want you to write this definition down. Pride defined. It's thinking of yourself differently than God thinks of you. Thinking of yourself differently than God thinks of you. Romans 12.3 tells us, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So it says, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. So it doesn't say, always think of yourselves lowly. How many of you guys have thought humility thinks, thinking, I'm stupid and a dumb idiot? <laughs> okay? <laughs> that's not humility. Get this, get this in your brains. That's pride. That's pride. That's pride. Pride is thinking of yourself differently than God thinks of you. It's not thinking of yourself lowly. And it's not thinking of yourself, like this verse says, more highly than you ought. But how highly ought you to think of yourself? You ought to think of yourself the way God thinks of you. And that's true humility. Seeing yourself the way God sees you. You know why? Because when I think of myself as lowly and stupid and ignorant or... or what, what about if I think, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not beautiful or attractive enough? What if I think those thoughts? What if I think, nothing, I can't do anything good. I just mess everything up. What if I think those thoughts? I'm, see, God's Word, the Bible, it says the opposite of that. So if I'm choosing to believe those things, I'm choosing to believe my thoughts over God's Word. So I'm believing that my thoughts are more correct than God's Word. That's pretty proud. Wouldn't you say... If, you, if, if, if God says X and I say, no, you're wrong, God, Y is right, wouldn't that be pride? See, that's what I'm doing. Every time I choose to see myself as this little peon. It's the same thing, though, when I choose to see myself as God's greatest gift to mankind. See, I've struggled with that before. Maybe, maybe some of us in this room are coming from different places. Maybe some of us think that we're no good, that we're stupid, that we're ugly, that we're dumb. Okay, that's pride, and I think you need to give that to God this morning. And maybe some of us have also come from a different perspective, thinking, I know some people are gifted, but I'm really gifted, right? I'm really special. Now, now, whatever side of the spectrum you're on, when you get back to the center of realizing, God says this about me, and that's what I believe about me, and that's all I believe about me. So a lot of the verses today are going to talk about 
what God says about us and Him in this relationship of humility. I also want you to think about a few different characteristics. The truth of your identity without Christ. I think humility is understanding our God-given identity. You could talk for hours on what that identity is, but I think it's important. So what's the truth about your identity without Christ? Hitler killed 6 million people. Stalin killed over 10 million people, right? Mao Zedong, how many people did he kill? More than both those guys, I think. I'm capable of that. You think Stalin ever started out thinking, I want to kill 10 million people? I don't think so, right? Uh, I think he started out thinking, I have a plan to make the biggest amount of good for the most people. I think he had a genuine desire to help people. And then over time he became very proud and thought, well, that person's standing up against my plan, so they're dead. See, that's, that's possible in my character. I know it. And I think it stems from pride. Any of you guys have ever been guilty of greed? I want that for myself. I want what's best for myself. I think Enron's possible for all of us. If all I had to do is, like, fudge a little number and some paperwork, and they're going to put a billion dollars in my bank account, it'd be hard to not do it, right? Wouldn't you kind of want to... I'll sign that paper, and uh, I'll have all the money in the world. Okay, here's another one. Ted Haggard. Most of you guys know Ted Haggard. A few of you guys know him quite closely. How many of you guys think Ted Haggard started out going, man, I'm going to build this big church, and then I'm going to flush it all down the toilet by doing some stupid thing? No way, dude. I think this guy had a precious heart to love God. I think he desired... I think you guys would vouch for that. You know this guy. I think he desired to love God. He desired to help other people grow closer to God. But there was a time where his human flesh got in the way of that. And I'd be a fool if I said that I'm any different than Ted Haggard. That could happen to me. What I want you guys to understand is my identity as a, as a human being without Christ is no different. I am no better than he ever was. In fact, I'm probably a lot less of a person than he was, if you want to put it that way. This guy has a lot of charisma and leadership. I mean, he's leading 30 million people. I don't imagine I'll ever be leading, or leading 30 million people. This guy was quite an, an awesome individual, and he fell in a big way because he, like me and like every one of you, has a human nature that without God is in big trouble. Now, on the flip side of the coin, what's the truth about your identity in Christ? You're his child. And in fact, in John 1.12, it says you have the right to be his child if you've accepted him. It doesn't say if you've accepted him and you're perfect. It doesn't say if you've accepted him and go to church every Sunday. It doesn't say if you've accepted him and never sin. It doesn't say if you accepted him and never cuss. It doesn't say if you accepted him and never think a bad thought. It says simply if you have accepted him and said, Jesus, I open the door to my life and let you come inside. Forgive me for my sins. From that point on, till the day you die... You have the right to be his child. It's a right that cannot be taken from you. You are securely saved. You can put it, Jesus says in John 10, 28, no one can snatch you out of his hand. That's pretty secure. And you're someone, so not even you can snatch yourself out of that hand, right? And so the point is, is your identity in Christ is that you are securely his child. And nothing, Christy, nothing can change that for the rest of your life. Isn't that sweet? What if you mess up? You're his child. Nothing changes that. And see, this is where I think knowing your identity is true humility. Being able to say, yeah, I screwed up, but I am his child. And nothing is going to stop me from being close to him. I'm going to push in closer to him regardless of how I've fallen. You're loved eternally. It's in Jeremiah 31.3. It says he's loved you with an everlasting love. Never began, never ended, and never will end. 
Romans 8, 38 and 39 says, nothing can separate you from his love. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're accepted. In Ephesians, it says, he made you accepted in the beloved, in his body. You're accepted. How many of you have ever thought, other people don't accept me? Well, God says you are accepted in his body. That's key. I hope each of you this weekend feels accepted here. Because you are. You're just as precious to God as anyone else here. And so you should, you're just as accepted. That's your identity. That's who you are. You're being conformed to his character, the Bible tells us. There's a huge purpose for your life. Mason, your life is, it, you're not just here to, you know, waste some air, contribute to global warming, and die. Right? <laughs> that's, that's, not your, that's not your purpose in life. You have a huge, God says you have a huge purpose in life. Ravi Zacharias stated it this way. He said, clearly articulate why you exist and what would the world be missing if you did not. See, it's true, because if you weren't here, something would be missing. We would be missing you. The body of Christ would be missing you. The world would be missing what God has planned for you and the purpose that God has planned for you. So you are unique and special. You're gifted in ways I'm not, that Russ isn't, that Linda isn't, that Aaron isn't. You each make a part of God's body in a unique way. And nobody can replace you. See, that's not pride, realizing that I play a special role in what God's doing. That's just realizing what my identity in Christ is. And see, if I believe below that, that's pride. Because I'm choosing to disagree with what God says. And I know a lot of Christians that are just like, Oh, I'm not good enough. God can't use me. I'm not talented enough. That's pride. That's not choosing to believe what God says is true about us. And I know just as many Christians, and I've been there myself, where I think, boy, what, what would God do without me? <laughs> you know? And that also is pride. So you guys, again, let's get to the heart of humility. And I think that that is, necess- that is just necessary. So if you've ever thought, I have to be right, that's pride. And I put that first because probably if there's one thing people jokingly say about me, it's that I always have to be right. I always have to win an argument. Right, Aaron? Okay. So, that's true. That's pride. I can't put any other description on it other than pride. If I always have to be right. If I cannot say I'm wrong. If I cannot say, forgive me, I'm sorry. Those things are pride. And there's no other word to describe them. If you've ever thought you're more gifted, that's pride. If you've ever thought, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm the greatest, but I'm a heck of a lot better than all these other guys. That's pride. We don't necessarily think that very often. I don't think any of us would go around and just say, you know, me, I'm, I'm pretty good. But listen to what Andrew Murray says about that very thing. He says, there's no pride so dangerous, so subtle and insidious as the pride of holiness. It is not that man ever says or even thinks, stay away, I am too sacred for you. The thought would be considered ludicrous. But unconsciously, there can develop a private habit of the soul that feels complacency in its attainments and cannot help but see how far it is ahead of others. It isn't always seen in self-assertion or self-praise, but in the absence of self-denial and modesty that reveals a lack of the mark of the soul that has seen the glory of God. Isn't that true? So it's not always seen in me trying to make myself first. So I think I have this idea that if I'm not trying to make myself first and show people how good I am, I'm pretty humble. And he goes, that, that's not necessarily true. He goes, it's also seen in a lack of self-denial. My pride is incorrectly responding to God's character. It's not realizing who I am and who God is. What about saying God needs me? What about saying I'm extraordinary? I'm special. Now I want you guys to get this right. You are special. I thought those things. I thought I'm extra special. I thought all those things. This is kind of honest. I don't know if I've... I think I've told this to Russ. 
The first time me and Aaron led a trip to Romania, when I first brought it up, there was a discussion of whether I should do it because we'd never led a project overseas. And then Russ gave us the go-ahead. And just because of that, that small idea, uh, that, that thinking of, I want, should we do that because we've never done one before? It's almost like, I didn't even think about it, there developed in me this desire to prove I could. And for literally until about two weeks before the trip, I realized everything I was doing, I did a great job planning, but I did it for the wrong motives. I got every T crossed, every I dotted. I made sure it was going to be the greatest trip in the whole world. And about two weeks before we left, I realized, man, I've done about three months of work for this project based in pride because I wanted to prove I could. And God really had to convict me and say, Nate, your attitude needs to be right. This trip is for my glory. It's not for your glory. So Satan and pride. What happened with Satan and pride? In Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, you can read this if you want, or you can just listen. I'm just going to turn the. God made Satan good originally, and he fell and became who he is today. And in Isaiah 14, 12 through 15, it says, How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn. It's talking about Satan. The morning star, the son of the dawn. This is talking about him in pretty flattering words. It says, How you have fallen from heaven. You have been cast down to the earth. You were you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of the assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to the grave, to the depths of the pit. See, Satan said, I'm going to be like God. I'm going to be above God. That pride is what caused him to fall. I think there are only a couple things in the Bible that God specifically says, I hate. There's seven things that it talks about in Proverbs. It says also that he hates divorce, and it says that he hates pride. I think those are the only things that it specifically says God hates. So this is a big deal to God. It's what caused Satan to fall. What was Jesus' example for us? I'll paraphrase John 13, 1-17. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. This is the God of the universe becoming a human being, and he's washing his disciples' feet. In this day and age, that was a big deal. That was a dirty job that only the, the lowliest of servants would do, and he did it for his disciples. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus is saying, I am humble in heart. This is what describes him, right, when he was a human being on this planet. See, Philippians 2, 6 through 11, talks about what, what, what happened when Jesus came to this planet. He humbled himself. He became humble. Who, being in very nature God, says he is God himself by nature, yet he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He, he put that off for a time. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Aaron had a great, great, great perspective on this yesterday. Death is, is this huge enemy. It's, it's, it, the Bible tells us the last enemy to be conquered will be death. Jesus humbled himself to being defeated by death. I'd never thought of that before. Aaron just said that when she was reading through this yesterday. I thought, what a, what a thing. He humbled himself to become a man, he humbled himself and let us kill him, but he humbled himself and let death kill him too. So he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So see, Jesus humbled himself. He, he, he became a man. He humbled himself to the point of death. He washed his disciples' feet. And he told us, I am humble. And then, what does it say in Philippians 2.5? See, we just read 6 through 11. Now 5, the verse before all that, says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. See, my attitude needs to be the same as Him, of humbling myself. It's a response to who God is. If I don't respond correctly to God, I don't have intimacy with Him. I can't know Him on the level that He desires for me to know Him. That is the biggest satisfaction you will ever receive in life. My, my intimacy with God, I, I sense it on a daily basis, is a driving need that, I, that has to be met. And if it's not met, I'm empty. See, if we're not having that intimacy with Christ, there's an emptiness. And a lot of you guys know exactly what that's like. Something is missing in life. When God's there, that, that is not missing. There's a connection with the God of the universe on a deep and intimate level. See, my pride stops that. Numbers 12.3 says Moses was the most humble man in the entire earth. Okay, for all you theologians out there, who wrote Numbers? Moses. Oh, wait, so Moses wrote about himself that he was the most humble man on the earth. Does that sound possible? I used to think about that and think, if there's one verse that I think somebody was writing a little off track, that's it. But I really came to realize he wrote that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's sitting here writing along as the Holy Spirit dictates, and he looks back and goes, well, really? I had no clue. <laughs> right? Because if he's humble, he probably wasn't walking around thinking, oh, I'm so humble. But, but <laughs> it comes out and he goes, oh, I'm, I'm humble, I guess. That's pretty awesome. Well, he might not have said that. He might have thought, thank you, God, for making me humble. But what does it also say about Moses? In Exodus 33:11, it says God would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Wow. Wouldn't you want that kind of intimacy with God? That kind of closeness with God? That friendship and, and fellowship with God that's so deep, it's like, it's like Lee and Hetty. But even better, don't you want that kind of connection with God? See, it came out of humility for Moses. That's where it started. He was the most humble man on the earth. And he was able to connect with God as a friend connects with his friend in a very deep and meaningful way. So this is significant stuff. The significance of, of humility is that it allows me to connect with God. It allows me to connect with other people. How many of you guys love proud people? How many of you guys love friends that are like, I'm so much better than you, Selena? <laughs> right? If I said that, you go, that's cool, hey, I don't want to hang out with you. See, see, see pride, pride kills human relationships, just like it kills our fellowship with God. Humility is a foundation for relationships with each other. In, Roman, or in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-5, it says that that is a key characteristic of true love. Isn't that true? Love is not proud. It is not puffed up. So it's how we relate to each other. It's how we relate to God. Again, another verse that I forgot to read about how we relate to God. Psalm 10.4. It says, In his pride the wicked does not seek him. See, my pride keeps me from seeking God more intimately. So see, it's, it's stopping my, relation, or my fellowship with God, my relationships with other people. I think pride is the, the cause of more than half of marriages ending in divorce. I think pride is probably the root of a lot of people getting fired from their jobs. They play these stupid political games in the office and they get fired because they're trying to make themselves look cooler than everybody else. I saw this like crazy when I worked in the environmental field. All the time, it was politics about how to show everybody how good I am. You just go down the line and, and pride just erodes everything. It kills us. 
See, that's why God hates it so much. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says that, that God hates pride, right? James 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 says God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. I don't want God opposing me. I want God giving me his grace in a continual way. God hates pride because of these things. It, it stops me from having fellowship with him. It stops me from having friendships with other people. It destroys my future. It keeps me from the abundant life he has for me. It keeps me from joy and peace and love and hope and all these things. It keeps me from meaningfulness and my life purpose. If I'm proud, I'm not going to achieve the life purpose God made for me to, to achieve. It's not going to happen. Because I'm not a vessel that can be used by God. What will it do to eternity? Right? If I'm not living a life submitted to Christ, Romans 12, 1 and 2, that whole idea, a daily sacrifice lived for Him. If I'm not living that way, eternity will suffer. Russell Crowe's quote from a Gladiator, what's done in this life echoes for eternity. That's true. And if I am proud and arrogant and unyielding to God and unwilling as a vessel in this life, I will not be used the way God wants me to be used. Because I can't be. And eternity is going to suffer because of it. So all these things combine to make pride something that is insidious and God hates. Pride is my natural condition as a human being. Humility is not. There's not one of us here that was born naturally humble. Some of us might have been born naturally quieter than others, or maybe naturally more meek than others. I don't think any of us were ever born humble. I think humility is the opposite of humanity. Does that make sense? I've seen a few t-shirts. One says, let's talk about me. One says, it's all about me. I think those adequately describe, or little brother again, I can do it on my own. Those describe what we as humans are naturally like. Think about this, selfishness. Isn't that the cause of pride? I'm better. I want what's right for me. I want what's best for me, not for you. Compare that to selflessness. Doesn't that take humility? I'm believing that person's better than myself, and I want what's best for them, even when I don't get it. What about fear? This is huge. I, I, last year, I'd been dealing with a lot of health problems, and a lot of them were really, really, really s severe headaches, like all day long, every day. The doctors thought, the, the doctor actually told me, there's nothing else that can be other than a brain tumor, pretty much. I was terrified. And, uh, and then they found out it wasn't a brain tumor, and they said, well, it could be leukemia. So we did all these tests for that. And then they said, well, it's not new leukemia. We don't know what it is. Just uh, you're on your own. For, for six or seven months, I was very fearful. I was like, what is going on with me? I mean, every day, just a splitting headache. And I finally realized it like, hit me like a brick in the head, out of the blue. One night, I was trying to go to sleep, and I'm sitting here thinking all these fearful thoughts, and it, it clicked. I was thinking, I don't want to die. I don't know what this is, because I, wanna, I want to be there for Aaron. I want to be there for Master Plan Ministries. Well, for God at first, but I want to be there to do the ministry God's called me to. I want to be there for this. I want to be there for that. I want to be there for that. And I realized my fear is directly tied to my pride because I feel like I have to be there for everything. If, if I'm humble, there's not going to be any fear. There's going to be courage. I'm dispensable. I could die right this second, drop dead of a heart attack, and Master Plan Ministries will be just fine. You know, The ministry at Fort Lewis College will be just fine. You, you guys might be sad, some other people might be sad, but it's not like people are going to go, well, shucks, I'm going to quit having my quiet time and never going to share my faith again because Nate died, right? I'm dispensable. I'm not that significant. If I die, I'm sure Aaron would have a great life blessed by God. Because, I mean, God can take care of her better than I can, right? But my fear is a direct result of my pride, I realized. 
How many of you guys want to be, live a fearful, cowardly life? I don't want people to miss out on what God has for them because I was too stinking scared to tell it to them and to share it with them and risk that they might not like me. I want to be able to say, look, the God of the universe loves you deeply and there's a life of significance that He has for you that you will, that you will never experience any other way. And it's not, it, it has nothing to do with you going to church every Sunday. It has everything to do with you personally accepting and knowing Him as your Savior and Lord. I don't want my pride to make me fearful. I don't want it to make me a coward. But I want to let God humble me so that I can have true courage to do what He's called me to. What about laziness and pride? It's so hard to think laziness is pride, but I think it is. Saying, I'm going to do what I want with my time, not what God wants. So what about the opposite of that? Humility produces hard work, right? What about apathy and pride versus commitment and humility? I think humility causes me to be committed to God and what He's doing. What about stubbornness and pride? I, I heard people say, I refuse to share my faith. And I think that, see, that's stubbornness. That's pride. But what's the opposite of that? Willingness and humility. See, humility causes willingness. My will can be totally submitted to Him. What about independence and pride versus dependence on God and submission to Him? Submission is a huge thing. How many of you guys like the word submission? It's not very much fun, right? It's not a great word. James 4.7 says submit to God. Ephesians 5.21 says submit to one another. 1 Peter 2.13 says submit to the government. Hebrews 13.17 says submit to godly authority. 1 Peter, 2 also, or 1 Peter also says young men submit to the old men. The Bible says wives submit to your husbands. Everybody submits to everybody, basically. I mean, it's submission across the board. Nobody gets left out. There's no verse that says, this demographic doesn't have to submit to anyone, but everybody else does. We all are submitting to each other. And I don't like that word as much as you don't, but humility causes submission. See, if I'm thinking of Aaron as better than myself, then I can gladly say, Aaron, I'm here to serve you. And that's really a heart of submission. I'm going to serve you. See, it comes from humility. What about anger and pride? Isn't anger like directly a result of my pride? I'm right and I will show you. Or you, how dare you cut me off in traffic? Do you know who you're talking to? You know, I'm going to run you off the road. See, it's pride versus love. Doesn't love require humility? Putting somebody else's good above my own? That's humility. And that's love. That's the way God des- describes love. What about spiritual pride and hypocrisy? How many of you guys like hypocrites? How many of you guys would like to be called a hypocrite? Okay, none of you, right? Did, did you guys hear Kat last week at Unite 07, her testimony? She was talking about how she became a Christian, how she accepted Christ in her life. And she goes, all you Christians that don't live like it, you made it so hard for me to trust Christ. She goes, so all you Christians in here, she goes, will you please just live like Christ told you to live so that you don't make it hard for people to accept him? Because hypocrites turn people away. And I don't want to be a hypocrite, but that's the natural result of pride, is hypocrisy. Luke 18.10, and it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector sitting over here next to me. Right? He goes, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. The tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. See, that's humility. Saying, look, there's nothing for me to give. And, and the verse is this Pharisee going, I'm so great. Nobody likes a hypocrite. And see, spiritual pride and hypocrisy kill. Versus 
true humility where I say, God, I'm nothing. Just like that tax collector. They were the most reviled people in the entire society. And he says, I am nothing, God. I won't even look towards heaven. That's how I, I just realize I'm nothing without you. Okay, that's where, that's where we need to be. So humility is God's plan for me. Colossians 3.12 says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, and humility. So God has told us to put on a heart of humility. See, this is a heart issue, and Russ tonight is going to talk about issues of the heart. Where's my heart in relation to God? And see, humility is something that it says I clothe my heart. Put on a heart of humility. So I put it's like I, I put it on. So again, it's not natural for us, and it's the result of a process. Now get this. What's the process by which you get humility? Humiliation, right? None of us like that word. But here's one thing that Andrew Murray says about humility that I want you guys to grasp. And it's changed my entire way of looking at it. He said, humiliation is God's gift to you. When, when I get humble, when something happens that, that makes me look stupid... When something happens that makes me look like a like a moron, that's God's gift to me. Isn't that weird? Breaking. It's breaking me. And it hurts like mad. But see, God is enabling me to become more Christ-like. And that's part of His gift to me. And He knows I need it. And when I pray for humility, I always also pray, God, I'm scared to death of what that's going to take. I know it's not going to be easy. But I do want to be like you. I think it's so, so necessary. That process is the key, like I said, to all this, to our fellowship with God, with others, to our life purpose, it's the key. Now here's the deal. Murray says about, about this very thing, he says, Many Christians fear and flee and seek deliverance from all that God would use to humble them. At times they may pray for humility, but in their heart of hearts they pray even more to be kept from the things that would bring them to that place. It's like, God make me humble, but please don't let me be humiliated. I don't want to have that hit to my pride. But see, that's what God uses to make us humble. I can't become humble without that. So here's the process of humiliation in biblical terms is your death in a metaphorical type of way. Not your physical death. But your death to your image. Your death to all, all the hopes and dreams that you made for yourself that maybe weren't from God. Jesus put it this way. He said, Then he, then he said to them all, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. That's not quoted only a few times, but it's also found in Matthew 10, 38-39, Matthew 16, 24-25, Mark 8, 34-35, and Luke 17, 33. And parts of that are also quoted in other places, but not that full text too. So he says we need to die to ourselves. we need to take up our cross daily, and we need to deny ourselves, and we need to lose our life. Ellie Maxwell said the daily cross is something which is to be the instrument of disgrace and execution, and it is whatever gives occasion for ever deeper test of self-surrender. Isn't that true? It's like my daily cross. When Jesus said take up your cross daily, he didn't mean put on a necklace with a cross on it every day, or put an earring on. But he said every day there are going to be things that kill your that kill your self-image, that kill what you think about yourself. And he goes, take it up. Don't fight it, but take it up. That's hard. I haven't got there yet to that place where I can take it up and I can say, this thing is going to humiliate me, but I'm going to take it on me and let God do what he wants with me. So denying myself, taking up my cross daily, losing my life to find it. The harder you try to hold on to your life, the less true life you'll experience. Until a humility that rests on nothing less than the end and death of self 
and which gives up all honor of men as Jesus did. Gives up all honor of men. What would it be like to live from this day forward, never once again for the rest of my life, seeking honor from another human being? Wouldn't that free us? See, I don't have to live for what Chris thinks about me anymore. It's not like, man, I hope he likes me. I hope they don't think bad about me. I I struggle with that. He says, until we can give that up, as Jesus did, to seek the honor that comes from God alone. What's the honor that comes from God alone? Well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that awesome? So I'm giving up the honor of men to seek the honor that comes from God alone, which absolutely makes and counts itself nothing, that God may be all, that the Lord alone may be exalted, until such a humility is what we seek in Christ above our chief joy and welcome at any price, there is very little hope of a faith that will conquer the world. And true humility comes when before God we see ourselves as nothing, having put aside self and let God be all. The soul that has done this can say, I have lost myself in finding you. No longer compares itself with others. It has given up forever any thought of self in God's presence. Can you imagine that? I've given up forever any thought of myself. I can't even I can't even think that way. It's like never again will I think of myself. See, I know I'm sinful and I will. But true humility is that thought. I don't even care about Nate's recognition, Nate's name, what people think about Nate. It's all God. As long as he's glorified, I'm happy. It meets its fellow man as one who is nothing and seeks nothing for itself. And that what if we could relate to each other like that? I'm nothing. I'm nothing, Cody, and I just want to serve you. I just want to love you. I'm nothing, Brett, and I just want to be here to love you and serve you. I mean, wouldn't that be cool if we treated each other that way? Who is a servant of God and for his sake is a servant of all. See? I'm God's servant, but that makes me Mason's servant. That makes me Nolan's servant, right? I want to be able to serve other people. So anyway, Paul phrased it this way in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So he goes, it's no longer Nate. It's no longer his ambitions. It's no longer his desires, his dreams, his hopes, what he wanted his life to count for. Now it's God. And what's so cool is now he lives his life in me. What's better, guys? Pop quiz. Nate or God? God. What, what do you think is better? What Nate is capable of or what God is capable of? Okay, now personalize this. Would you rather have a life that comes out of what you tried to do or a life that comes out of God doing powerful things through you? Colossians 1.29, Paul says that God's energy works mightily in us. It's not me at all. Now here's the deal. What did Paul say in Philippians 3.7 about this? He said he's counted everything else rubbish compared to knowing Christ. Isn't that true? His power in me. Nothing else matters. My hopes, my dreams, my ambitions, they are all a distant 58th compared to God and what He has for me. Right? Because I've been crucified. I've died to myself. I've lost my self-image. And He's everything now. He's it. He's it. So the cross is the instrument of our death that we gladly, not gladly, we willingly take upon ourselves. And sometimes it's no fun. That's going to take those around you. How many of your roommates have uh, annoyed you this year? All of you guys, right? Okay, Alan has two hands up. Really annoying. Okay. Here's. Uh oh. Aaron has a perfect roommate. Let me tell you. No. Um. See, the people around you. Here's a cheesy analogy. Okay, if you're going to pick up your cross, if I am crucified with Christ, how can I be crucified with Christ? I could nail one hand into the cross, right? I could maybe nail my feet into the cross, but i got this hand dangling here, right? 
It's, I can't nail this hand to the cross. If I'm going to be crucified with Christ, it's going to take somebody else around me to nail that nail to the cross. It's going to be painful, and it's going to hurt. And I, if, if it was free, I'd punch him in the nose. <laughs> okay, It's going to hurt like mad. But it takes the people around me to do that. Andrew Murray again says, It is easy to think that we humble ourselves before God, but our humility towards others is the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real. Philippians 2.3, you can, you can read this with me if you want. This is a good one to read with me. It says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Isn't that powerful? What would it be like? It doesn't say consider people that are more mature than you as better than yourselves. That's a lot of times what I, what I think. It's easy for me to think, Russ is better than me. But boy... <laughs> I don't know, that new guy I just met, he's sure isn't better than me. You know what I mean? I'm much more mature than... Don't we all think that way? Like, my pastor, he's better than me. But most of my friends aren't. See, he says, consider others. Everyone around you is better than yourself. And I don't think I have that attitude, necessarily. Not very often. Titus 3.2 says, Slander no one. Be peaceable and considerate. And show true humility towards all men. Am I going to be willing to show humility towards all people around me? Show them that I value them more than I value myself. Put their good above myself. See, I don't, I don't do that, and I, I need to. That needs to be the key. Ephesians 4.2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient and bear with, an, with each other in love. So there are so many different things that we can die to. TV, food, sleeping in, free time, video games, girlfriends, boyfriends, if they take God's place, GPA, Summer break, your image, your gifts, your talents, your hopes, your dreams, your desires, the rest of your life and the plans you have for it. A.W. Tozer said, in every Christian's heart, there is a cross and a throne, and the Christian is on the throne till he puts himself on the cross. If he refuses the cross, he remains on the throne. Perhaps this is at the bottom of all the backsliding and worldliness among believers today. We want to be saved, but insist Christ do all the dying. Isn't that true? It's like, I want to accept his free gift, but he has to be the one that, that dies to himself. Because I'm going to keep my pride here. See, that's, that's, our, that's my heart far too often. So I need to surrender. And I just want to quickly say, humility comes when we have an opportunity to die to ourselves and we surrender. And we say, okay, bring it on. You know? Somebody says, Cody, I think you are lame. <laughs> to be able to say, okay, sorry I hurt you. It's hard to swallow my pride. You say, I'm going to surrender. I'm going to let God humble me. But see, that's an upward cycle. Because I, as I surrender, I grow in humility. And then I'm able to surrender more. Then I'm able to grow in humility more. Then I'm able to surrender more. I'm able to grow in humility more. And the result is that I get closer and closer and closer to God every step of the way. And this happens in every area of our life. Remember this, Mark 12.30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. We did a challenge on that a few weeks ago. God wants... Every part of me, my heart, my emotions, desires, my soul, my image, my attitudes, my character, my mind, my thoughts and intellect, my strength, my energy, my labor, my physical body. He wants it all. Not just because he's some jealous guy that just thinks he needs everything, but he wants it all because it gives me true intimacy with him. Right? Don't you guys, when you get married, want your husband or wife or your future spouse to be completely devoted to you? Would you like it if your future spouse said, you know... Monday through Friday, I'm yours. 
Saturday and Sunday, I'm hitting up the clubs and finding somebody else. You don't want that, right? You want them to be yours. And see, that's what God's saying. He's saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I want you to be mine completely. Nothing else competes for your attention. You're mine. That's what God wants. John the Baptist had that attitude in John 3.30. A true attitude of humility. And this is what I hope God produces in me. And I'm scared to death of what it will take. But the true ability to say, He must become greater and I must become less. I must decrease, He must increase. Can you imagine that? This is John the Baptist. He's, he's some weirdo out in the desert eating locusts and honey and wearing animal skins. Right? It's pretty, pretty bizarre. And, and, and people are flocking to him in droves to be baptized by him. And they start asking him, Are you the Messiah, John? Are you the one that, we should, that we're waiting for? Can you imagine how? I mean, it'd be easy to be like, Ooh, I like this attention. I might be the one you're looking for. You know what I mean? <laughs> imagine if the hottest girl you knew, guys, came up and said, Mark, you're the best looking guy I've ever met in my life. Wouldn't that? Probably <laughs> <Pass> out. <laughs> okay, I mean, that's probably how John the Baptist felt, right? John the Baptist. I bet that's how he felt when people came out and said, "Are you the Messiah? Are you the Messiah that the entire Old Testament is prophesying about? Are you that one? Are you that person?" He's probably like, "Holy cow, these people love me." It'd be so easy to get cocky and arrogant, but what does he say? He says, "Forget it." He says, "I'm not even worthy to untie that guy's sandals." He goes, I must decrease, he must increase. There's nothing here. There's nothing to see here. It's all him. I, I want my life to be that. You guys don't... There's nothing with Nate that's special. Anything that, that you like about me or that you see is attractive about me, any giftings you see, talents you see, abilities you see, it's only him. It's only him. And there's nothing else except him there. So I think humility comes in these ways. And I, I hope you grasp this. And we're almost done. Humility doesn't just happen. It's not our natural state. It requires this process of dying to myself. And that doesn't just happen. That requires then when, that when an occasion arises for me to die to myself, that I surrender willingly to it. And that's not easy. But that's how I die to myself. I take up my cross. I deny myself. And I lose myself and I find him instead, making his all in me. It also, it also requires that I must seek humility. I think I need to desire it. If I don't desire it, God's not going to give it to me. He's not going to force it on me. I, want it, I need a desire to be Christ-like. I think if it's an actual focus of my desires, then God can work that into me. But it needs to be a focus of my desires. Uh, it needs to be a focus of prayer and fasting. Psalm 35, 13 says that when I fast, it humbles me. So I think prayer and fasting contribute to my humility in a big way. Get this, it needs to be a result of my knowledge of my true identity in Christ. Not to think higher or lower than I need to of myself. And I get that true knowledge of who I am in Christ right here in His Word. He tells me, He's already given me everything I need for life and godliness. 2 Peter 1.3, it's right here. And see, that is where I can learn what, his true, what my true identity is in Him. And that contributes to true humility. So pray for it, seek it, desire it, fast and pray for it. Ask God for it. Get in the Word and learn what your true identity is in the Word. And when those occasions arise for you to die to self, die to self. So, here's, here's one of the bottom lines. is I have no rights. If, if I'm humble, I don't have any rights. I don't have a right to say, you can't talk to me that way. 
right? I don't have a right to say, you promised me something and you didn't show, so I'm mad. I, you owe me. See, I don't have a right to say that anymore. First uh, John 3.16 says, He laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. See, I'm laying down my life. I don't have a right anymore. He does not need me or my gifts or my abilities or my talents. Second Corinthians 12.9, God tells Paul, he goes, My strength is made perfect in your weakness. See, he doesn't need me because I'm so good. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 31. This is how Paul describes you guys, okay, and me. This is what he says. He says you're foolish, you're weak, you're lowly, and you're despised. And he goes, that's exactly why God picked you. Because you're not the next best thing. And I'm not the next best thing. But God picked me as I was because he loved me dearly. And he wanted that fellowship with me. And he says that he's going to use the foolish, weak, lowly, and despised things of this world to shame the wise. He's going to show his power through me who has nothing else except him. But he'll use me. I'm not the greatest. I grew up wanting to be a major league baseball player. I never, I'm not that. Might get to play softball this year. Probably won't, you know, hit any home runs or make anybody think twice about how awesome I am. That's okay, though. Because I'm going to let God do what he wants in me. I need to be desperately dependent on Christ. Look at Peter, one of the most fickle, up-and-down people in the entire New Testament. He's like, I mean, to the point where God once says, get behind me, Satan. Imagine if uh, Brandon, you're talking with God, and God says, Brandon, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> That'd be kind of a hit on the old pride. Peter was all over the board. What did God say to him? What did Jesus say to him later? On this rock I'll build my church. Peter became one, of, became one of the pillars of the early church. God used him mightily, not because he was gifted, but because he let God be God in him. Right? It's just amazing. In grace, he chooses to use me when I love him and focus on glorifying him. My image, again, does not matter. I need, I'm, I need to be desperately dependent on him. My will does not matter. I cannot demand my own way. My point of view does not matter. few of you guys have said things, even this week, that I, I was like, how could it be so stupid? Okay, I hate to admit that. <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to go tell them. I'm going to prove that they're wrong. And I thought, man, what kind of a proud, arrogant fool are you, Nate? Like, I need to connect with God. Have you guys ever felt that way, though? Like, I, how could that guy be so stupid, you know? I see people with bumper stickers I don't agree with. I'm like, mm, you guys are morons, you know? And then you realize, look, dude, why? What's so special about me? <laughs> I'm a moron. My will does not matter. He's everything. He's everything. But see, when I'm broken like that, he can be everything in me. My point of view does not matter. I won't be liked. God promises me that in John 15, 18, that the world's going to hate me. <laughs> I'm not, I might not be liked. Doesn't that free you, though? I don't have to live for what other people think of me anymore. God, I, I just care what he thinks about me. In 2 Timothy 3, 12, it says I'll be persecuted. The worst thing that's ever happened to me is getting a, throw, a snowball thrown at me, hit me in the back of the head. Not too bad. But honestly, I heard a stat that this year, 140,000 Christians will be martyred worldwide. These three schoolgirls in Indonesia last year that were beheaded by Muslim fanaticists there, and their heads were taken to their villages and thrown into their villages. Schoolgirls. One of them survived, has a scar across her face, had to have massive reconstructive surgery just so she could smile. I have pictures of her. She still has like this, this hideous scar, even after all the surgery. Voice of the Martyrs Christian Organization funded her complete reconstructive surgery. Those men were sentenced last week, 14 years in prison each, for beheading 
teenage girls simply because they love Christ. I have, I have nothing to, to complain about. My life is pretty good. I will experience the abundant life, though, in ways that I never imagined possible. Guys, see, this is the thing. When I lose myself and let him become all, when I don't have to live in fear of men, wondering what other people think about me, I have true freedom. And it produces a life that's so free and so awesome and so amazing and so intimate with God, so intimate with other people. Real friendship. How many of you guys want real friendships? How many of you guys want a real marriage? How many of you guys want to really connect with God? Isn't that what you guys want? See, this is the key to all that. So here's the final heart is John the Baptist's attitude. He must increase. I must decrease. I'm desperately dependent on him for everything. I'm desperately dependent on him for everything. And if he doesn't show up, I'm dead in the water. I need him. So I would encourage you guys to make this heart of humility an active focus of your desire, of your prayer, of your fasting, of seeking God and asking him, saying, God, I know it's going to hurt to make me humble, but make me humble because I want to be like you. I want to be like you. I want to know you better. I want to love other people the way you want me to love other people. I want to treat other people the way you want me to treat other people. And the verse that crystallizes that is James 4.8. It says, draw near to God. God says, draw near to me, and I'll draw near to you. And see, I think when in humility we draw near to him, he responds and draws near to us. And there's that intimacy that we never find anywhere else. And, and just close on this thought. A proud person cannot be close to him. A proud vessel cannot be used as a conduit of his power. We have to be emptied before we can be filled and used. And a quote that I love to share is that your weaknesses, inabilities, and failure present no challenge to God's plan for your life. Your willingness, however, does. And see, that's the thing. It all goes back to my willingness. It all goes back to my willingness. So I, I hope, guys, it's this attitude of desperate dependence on Christ. Is that encouraging you? you? I hope you can grasp the picture of how beautiful this is and what an abundance comes out of this life of humility and, uh, and how wonderful it is. And at the same time, it's not fun. I know it. I know it's not fun. I'll tell you a story about me. It's really short. Uh, when I was a freshman, sophomore, I guess, uh, I said, I said, uh, God, make me humble. Just prayed this boldly. And the next week, I had five people tell me I was ugly. No joke. And, and, five people, and five people told me that I was stupid, including a professor in front of the whole class. Okay? But anyway, it hurt so bad. You know when the, the next time I prayed for humility was? At least five years later. <laughs> I was scared to death. And I remember, it was about two years ago, and I remember I, I got to this point where I just said, I said, God, I am, I, it was after reading this book, Humility, a couple of years ago, I said, God, I'm terrified to ask you, but I want you to make me humble, even though I know it's going to kill me. But uh, let's just close in prayer. God, I just thank you so much for, for just this whole issue of humility. I'm so sorry, God, for my lack of understanding about it and my my refusal to, to let you humble me, God. And, and I do know that for me and, and for each of us here, it's something that will not be fun to be humble, God, but I know that it's just the key to everything that you have for me. It's the key to meaningfulness and abundance in life, to relationships with others and fellowship with you, God. So I want it, and I want to be more like you, Jesus. So um, make me and each one of us more humble and teach us to respond correctly when you're humbling us, God. And uh, we love you, Jesus. Uh, amen.